I want to encourage you, if you've got students or in junior high or high school, this is the point they can head on out with the student ministry and um, they're going to be over in the B Auditorium doing their study. In the meantime, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of march forward in our soul detox. How many guys are engaged currently in a small group or community group of some kind? Praise God. This is awesome. I want to encourage you guys with, uh, with words. Um, we've been learning in the, in the small groups about positive words and looking at our negativity and trying to be more positive and just was imagining just for you guys, just to, what would I say to you? And just I want to encourage you guys and thank you for being a part of what you do do in the church and your service and joining the community group. And as you allow God to work in your heart, you're actually allowing him to transform the whole of the community. And so just, just thank you so much for that. Um, before we dive into this, I need to um, really kind of take a side step for a second because in this series on soul detox, we're kind of revealing and opening up, up things. Last week, we looked at uh, self-deception and, and examining that, and this week, we're going to look at something else. And kind of one of the things you never lead out as a pastor with at the beginning of a message is, is, is an example. Typically, you don't want to lead out with a lie that you've ever committed. You don't, and the reason why is because you're the pastor and you want people to believe what you're saying. So when you say, hey, look, I've lied, it kind of like, well, where else are you lying? Are you lying in this message? It has that kind of thing. So... I say all that just so you keep that in your mind as we kind of go through this opening illustration real quick. So, um, you see, my, one of the things I've grown up in the nerd culture, and maybe I was talking to some men, they were like, no, I'm not a nerd, but this is kind of maybe common for men. I don't know. But it is for, I know, amongst kind of more of the, uh, the nerdy group of guys I used to hang around, we were always looking at our grades and stuff, and I always felt like we were competing. I'm fairly comp- competitive when it comes to that stuff. And so I built into this habit when somebody asked me a question. If I didn't know, I would sit back and go, what do I know? And I would make an educated guess. But my educated guess would come out very authoritative. I was very good at stating something strongly and confidently. And if you state anything strongly and confidently, most of the time people are going to believe you. You ever notice that one? So I, I, I kind of got into a bad habit of this. And, and even in youth ministry, I think I would almost guess at things and be, I'd be kind of right. But, you know, in, in the biblical stuff, I was usually pretty much. If I didn't know, I'd say I don't know. But in other things of life, like in science and weird stuff like that, I'd be like, no, like it's like this. One day I'm doing something like this, and now I'm married. And my wife looks at me and says, where did you get that from? I don't know. You know, like I was watching the Discovery Channel like five years ago, and uh, I don't really remember what episode it was. Or maybe it was from a book or, or the radio program I was listening to. Yeah, that, that, that's a, I'm sure I heard it from somewhere because I know I just didn't make that up. Really? She gave me that eye, and you're just like, yeah, now she has an affectionate term for it. It's Greg's, the second letter, and the last word is S. And so it's just this kind of, uh, and she's like, hey, are you, do you really know this, or are you just trying to, trying to spin a yarn? You know, are you just trying to, just kind of, I, I can't use, can I use, I don't know, maybe I'm going to just move on. And he's, he's just like, look, are you, are you just trying to fool us with this, or do you really know this? And now I've learned over the last few years to go, well, it appears to me to be this way. Or when I think about it, I kind of think of it this way. And it's, and it's important because I realized what I was doing was I was hiding my feeling of incompetence. I was trying to hide behind like, hey, look, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the expert. Ha, ha, ha. And, and the honest truth is we all hide things, don't we? You may not do what I'm doing, but although I've heard from some of your wives that you do do that. Uh, just they, Somebody just told me in the hallway, my husband does that. So it's kind of interesting. But the danger is that we can hide all kinds of things. You have children, and oftentimes you'll purposely hide things from your children. I know we will purposely hide certain news broadcasts and information from our kids, even though they're like, what is that? 
And that's because of the need to make sure that they're not entering into the world uh, at the wrong time. They're, they're not being overwhelmed by aspects of reality that their minds aren't capable of handling at that point. And so we hide things like that. But there's also another kind of hiding, and this is hiding our sins. We as humanity have a, have a habit of hiding sins behind closets, locking them away and making sure nobody can see or get to them because we don't want people to know that. This began at the beginning. You go back to Adam and Eve, and after they had eaten that, uh, that fruit from that tree God had forbidden them to eat from, God comes to them and asks them, hey, why are you hiding? Have you eaten of the fruit that I forbid you not to eat? And we know how this goes. Adam stands there, and if you've read the first few chapters of the Bible, Adam, you can find it in chapter 3, he stands there and he goes, uh, you know, I, I, it was the woman you gave me, she made me do it. And the woman goes, huh? Well, no, it's the serpent, he made me do it. And the serpent's sitting there going, <laughs> I guess I did. You know, he's kind of, so he's already the one to blame. But the problem is that the, these two are instantaneously blame-shifting. You see that? We're automatically taking the blame off ourselves, pointing it to somebody else, lying about it, hiding. In fact, this became a family trait. Cain and Abel find themselves in the middle of a of bitter, or Cain is embittered towards his brother Abel because Abel gave a better sacrifice, and he didn't like that. And so he winds up coming to his conclusion, and he kills his brother Abel out in the fields. God approaches him, approaches Cain, and he asks him this question in Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? I love this. Like, I don't know. I'm not responsible for that. I think Cain was probably around the age of 16 or something about that point. I'm just joking. Because we all do this, don't we? We all are willing to say, I don't know, when we do know. We're all willing to push off the responsibility when we know it's ours. There's a very real sense that we are very quick as a human culture to manage our sinful lives with lies and hiding. And it works. It always works. It makes things easier in the short run, but it makes life worse in the long run. If you really think about it, sure, you may be getting away with something right now, but in the long run, it is going to be disastrous. And life is always about the long run. It's not about the short because the short will disappear. I want to challenge us in this soul detox to really think about this. We've already stretched back the self-deception. We're willing to look at ourselves. What you're going to discover are things that you may not be ready to go putting out there, and you're going to start hiding them and lying about them. And it's not deceiving you as much as it is just putting yourself in a position where you're willing to say, hey, I'm just not going to deal with this, and I don't have to because nobody has to see it. But I want, us, I want to talk about this. I want us to get to this place, and this is the one thing we're going to be doing. We've got to stop hiding sin. We need to bring it out. That's the whole point. We need to stop hiding it, and we need to bring it out. If there's anything that we walk away with, it's to remind ourselves, I need to stop hiding sin. I need to bring it out. We need to do it as quick as we can and as soon as we can. And that's not popular, and it's not easy. And so I want to talk about this for a second. Those, because those who hide their sins, honestly, they don't receive God's blessing. Here at Olive Branch, we want, to see everyday, we want to change everyday people into a community of passionate Christ followers. We want to see them know what God's called them to do and do it. We want to see you guys know what God has put you on this earth for and live it out. But if we have hidden sins, it will interrupt that. Notice how the, the Proverbs put it. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 
We know this is true. When we look at the world and we see these giant churches, these amazing mega superstar pastors, and suddenly they've done this horrible sexual sin or they've, they've been cooking the books and they've been taking extra money on the side and all this starts to come out. And the world just goes, what is this? And everything God was doing through them is destroyed. The only place you can find somebody doing that kind of stuff and destroying their lives is in Hollywood. And we go, ooh, interesting. We should hire him for the next movie. It's a complete opposite world. But in this case, when we're talking about the spiritual game, we're talking about what God's called us to do. It is hidden sin that will derail that ministry. It is hidden sin that will undo whatever it is God is calling you to do. That's why I'm begging us to open the door, unlock the cabinet, and begin to allow out into the light these sins. we got to bring them out of the hiding, because otherwise it's going, to, it's going to fail. But if we know it's bad for us, why do we hide? If we know it's going to mess this stuff up, because we see it, why do we hide it? Well, we hide it because of the costs. There's a lot of costs that sin brings. We may not have thought about it, but when you've done something that has offended someone, there's a lot of pride that you're going to have to pay. You know, sometimes we just don't want to admit at work that we did something wrong because of the pride or the prestige that you've received for your job or your position. That if you were to confess this thing over here, this sin that you've hidden, this lust or this greed or whatever you find in your heart, this addiction, you sit there and suddenly somebody's going to say, you're not worthy of that position and you're going to lose prestige. You know, some of us have been dodging taxes or, or maybe we've been doing something with money, taking little bits here and there because nobody's going to see. And what's going on is we're afraid it's going to be doled out of our pocketbook. And so we're going to have to pay from pride. We're going to have to pay from prestige. You may have to pay from your pocketbook, but you're always going to have to pay with personal relationships. It is going to be between you and somebody else. It's going to disintegrate something. In fact, I think Christians, it's fascinating. We know we're hiding sin. We say, well, if I let that out, it would ruin my witness. Guys, by keeping it in, it's ruining our witness. By keeping it in, it's ruining our ability to walk where God is leading us. And we can't actually begin to allow God to work through us and transform us if we're not willing to open the door to the hidden sins of our lives. And so we need to bring those hidden sins out. We need to bring them to the light. So right where you are right now, I'm gonna ask you to do something. For the next 30 seconds... I'm going to ask you to sit down and talk to God and ask him, what is some of these sins that need to be brought to the light? I believe he's here. And you may not be a Christian, so I'm going to ask you to entertain this. Actually, just say, hey, God, if you're there, I don't know if you're there or not. Uh, Show me what I'm hiding. And you may be amazed that God actually reveals something to you. But right now, where we are as a church, I really believe that there are things that we're hiding. And if we're hiding it, God's going to push it to the surface. And uh, you may be resisting this right now because it's something bad. You know, it may be pornography. It might be some kind of calculation that you're making with your money. It might be that you're shopping like crazy and your husband or your wife doesn't know it. You know, there's all kinds of things that God could push out. He may bring up a non-sin issue. It may just be something that you're struggling with. You may be depressed. You may have great anxiety. You may be struggling with an eating disorder. He may bring these things up that are not sin issues, but he's really having you say, you need to speak it. The shame is too great. You need to bring it out into the light. So right where you are, for the next 30 seconds, just, I'll give you some priming so you can think. Just bow your heads and ask God, God, would you please show me what I'm hiding and that you need me to bring out?
You know, the beauty of this is that this may be what God is wanting to do in this soul detox for you, is to work through these things. And right now, you have a decision to make. You can either keep hiding it, or you can bring it into the light. But I want to warn you, both of them are tempting. And both of them have their own difficulties. And everything in us, all of our flesh, all of our desires are going to pull us towards wanting to keep it hidden. But the longer you hide sin, the harder it is to keep it hidden. Just so you know. Sin always wants to go to the light. Why? Because it wants its day on the stage. Sin wants to show up. Sin wants to present itself. See, sin isn't something that you do all the time. It is a spiritual power in this world. It is something that we've unleashed on ourselves that pulls us under and we walk with it. It makes us its slave and it's the master. Now, it comes out in our actions. It comes out in breaking the law of God, but it becomes something that we are constantly enslaved to. And so we need to, it wants to be in the light. And so it's going to work hard to make it there. And, and this is really clear because of, in several places in scripture, but where I want to do is talk about how difficult it is to keep it hidden. And we find this in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So go ahead and grab your Bible with me. And let's look at this, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. We're going to uh, start on page 262 in the Bibles under your seats. If you want to join us, you can just jump right in right there. This is about a, a man named David. For those of you who are kind of beginning in your journey with the Bible, um, so you may not have reached David. You've heard of David and Goliath. This is the same David. David is a, at that point, was a young shepherd. He had not become king yet. And it was that act that began to move him toward being king. Now he's been king for a while. He's been faithful to God. He's been serving God. He's been dealing with all kinds of turmoil to reach the level that he's the king. He's even called a man after God's own heart. So this guy is the king every other king has been based after from this, from this point on in the Bible. He will be the guy everybody looks back to. And what we're going to look at is his black eye in ministry. His black eye in his work. And that is in chapter 11 and 12. And so it begins here in verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. I love that phrase, by the way. Did you read that? At the time when kings go out to battle. It's like they all sit around with their calendars. So do we want to go out in spring or do we want to go fight each other in Oh, after winter. That sounds good. So after winter, yes, okay, we'll see you then. It's like they've got this planned into their calendar every year. It's like, oh, battle time. We need to go. So when he was supposed to, in other words, be out with his army fighting, uh, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. There's a bunch of political stuff behind here I don't have time to get into, but, but eventually David, but the point is David remained at Jerusalem. So he sends his armies out. Now, this isn't like, like, you know, the president of the United States who stays back from the military front where he has his advisors and his generals, and he goes, okay, yes, go tell him to do that. Okay, yes, go him to... No, in this time period, it was Braveheart level, you know? The king gets out there on the field and starts rallying the troops and yelling, and, and he takes off as the representative of God's fierceness and the king's loyalty to his subjects. That, that's the kind of king David is supposed to be. No, 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 no. He's at home where he shouldn't be doing what he shouldn't be doing, as we can see right here. It happened. I love that opening. It happened. Late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch. So I want you to imagine this. Here's the picture. Blood-stained, sweaty men standing around, getting out of their tents, pulling their swords, shooting their arrows, scared to death they're going to die, running on fields, having fiery arrows thrown at them, things are burning, you know, whole scenes of chaos and mess, and rocks and all kinds of stuff being thrown. 
David's on his couch. Got the contrast? Hey, I should be doing something. Can I have some more wine, please? David's at home on his couch, and he rose from his couch. He was walking on the roof of the king's house when he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. The word saw, such a small English word, and the Greek is far more vivid. The Greek, the, sorry, in the Hebrew is far more. The Hebrew word has a tendency to mean to gaze. And so he was doing this, ooh, 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 ooh. That's what is going on here. And it propels him to this. And David inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of, the, of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself with her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she, was, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So that's a month in, in time period right there that's gone by. So a month rolls by, and she goes, hey, David, by the way, pregnant, we got a problem. Sin is trying to creep out. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't doing what he should be doing. He wasn't looking where he should be looking. And the bottom line is, sin occurred. Now, before we jump on David, I know this is a really difficult passage for a lot of women to read. Before we just go kill David, I want to step back for a second and talk about this concept of what captured David's heart. What was motivating him? What moved him? And it's found in the book of 1 John. And what I want to show you is this passage. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so there's this system out there that provokes our hearts. And what it's saying is that there are three things. There's the desire the flesh. That is these, these cravings and these urges. They may be cravings and urges for sex. They may be cravings and urges to eat. It may be cravings and urges to sleep, to have a good party time and have some drugs and get drunk and whatever. These cravings exist within the, within the body. And when we let them rule us and they overwhelm us, we become lustful slaves who are addicted or are finding ourselves lazy or you name it. The lust overwhelms the body, takes control. And it also, however, is found through the desires of the eyes. Before everybody gets on men who are typically struggled with lust, I found that, and, I, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but in my mind, because I'm not going to state this as confidently as I normally would, I find that women struggle a lot with the eyes as, as much as men do in different things. Women look at other women, and I hear them say, well, I'm not, I, you know, they compare themselves. They look at other family traits, and they look at their families, and they compare their families. They sit down, and they look at their possessions as well as other women look, have their possessions, and they talk about who's got the better this or that. I grew up with, with girls, so that's why I'm, I'm making this assumption. Guys have different forms of the problem with eyes. It comes out in different ways. All human hearts are the same. That's all I'm trying to say. We all struggle with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It may be found in various forms, in various ways, but it's all there. And in David, it came raging out. And the danger that we see here with David is that David is now stuck in a position. He was supposed to be at war, and now this woman's pregnant. And how many people knew? Well, anybody who saw him bring Bathsheba up told him, this is Uriah's wife. Well, I just want to have a conversation with her. That's all. Sure, David. 
Anybody who had found out and brought the message to him that she's pregnant, when all, there's so many people involved, David's got to do something. Because this is going to come out. And this is going to be a problem. Because Uriah is like a hero. He's a mighty man. He's one of the people, people he's one of the warriors the people like. And so David starts to spin his plans to deal with this. Plan number one, he starts with this, bring Uriah home. Look at verse six. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah, or by the way, to wash your feet is, is a euphemism for go have a nice time with your wife. That's a Jewish euphemism. So when you see that here, he's literally saying, go home and fix my problem. But it doesn't end that way. Go, go wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. So he's trying to butter him up. He's trying to make him feel great. Watch, go home, enjoy your family, enjoy your wife. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. And Uriah, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and didn't go out to his house. So this guy just goes to bed with all the other slaves right out front of the door of David because he's not willing to do this. And David's like, what's going on? When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, look, the ark of Israel and Judah dwells in booths. My Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink? And lie, to my, and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Do you feel the subtle poke at David? Now David's, I don't think Uriah means it. But he is so loyal. So right on. He's saying, you, I wouldn't do this. The ark of the Lord's in battle. My commander's in battle. My comrades are in battle. Why would I go home and pleasure myself? This is a time of battle. And David's going, well, I I did. I want you to go do it too. I'll feel better. And we justify ourselves in our plans. We attempt to push off the blame. We attempt to hide in closed doors. And that's what David is doing. So then he goes, whoa, that didn't work. Plan B. Bray, Uriah, come here. Okay, let's sit down at the table. Have some wine, Uriah. Okay. Have some more. I'm okay. No, I'm your king. Have some more wine. I want to have a good time. Keep drinking, buddy. Keep drinking. Get some drunk. And still Uriah will not go home. Plan B fails. So he resolves to plan C. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent Joab's his commander and sent it by the hand of Uriah. So Uriah is holding this letter. This is what it said. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the harshest fighting. Then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And Joab was besieging the city. He assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there was a valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. So Joab goes, no problem. I handle this one. Yes, my king. And Joab just doesn't have a conscience as you read about him through the Bible. This guy goes, fine, that's good. And off goes Uriah and Uriah dies. Problem solved. Because now all he has to do is turn on the propaganda machine. And I'm reading in a little bit, but what I, I can just hear David saying, wow, Uriah was a hero. He's listed among the mighty men later in, later in the Bible. 
But Uriah is a hero, a great fighter. Look, even though the troops backed off, Uriah didn't back off. He kept fighting. When they tell stories of Uriah, and they bring the dead soldier home, and they do the parade, and they do the wonder of all the stuff, and Uriah this, and Uriah that, and Bathsheba's walking around in dark black clothing, and it's loose, and so it can kind of vanish certain things, and it's, she's, she's mourning, and so good David, he's such a good king, you know, he, he collects Bathsheba, the mourning wife of the hero, and brings him into his home and marries her to provide support and, and brings, and, and now the baby is here and oh, this baby obviously is, he, oh, maybe it's David's and it's just early or maybe it was Uriah's. What a, what a great King David is. Played out perfectly. Hidden, buried, gone. We only hope to succeed that much by our plans. Maybe it's erase the history. Maybe it's hide the bottle. Oh, no, no. Change the calendar so people don't know that's where you were and you changed it and you know, no, I was actually somewhere else. Make a different story. Get to the bills before your husband or your wife to fill them out and do them so they don't know yet. Just, just keep the Keep things separated in your bank account so you can use your money in the way that you really, really want to and she doesn't have to know or he doesn't have to know. Plan A, and then eventually that starts to break down. So you scoot to plan B and it's like, well, I'm caught. Well, no, I mean, hey, babe, why is, why is the history missing on our, on our internet? Oh, well, the kids must have deleted that. I don't know. By the way, are we supposed to be doing this? Deflect, change the situation. Hey, where are the bills? Oh, well, I did them. Things are good. You want, I, I thought we were going to plan on a date this week. We're really good at this. Distract, go a different direction. Look over here. Don't, don't look over there, you know. Plan B doesn't work. Then we go, oh, well, you know, it was when I was a kid and this happened. And we play victim and we're just, oh, and this is bad. And I had to do it because what would they have thought if I didn't buy something? They were all out doing this and that, 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 that. We just don't take responsibility. The danger is those costs of pride, those costs of pocketbook, that cost of personal relationships, that cost of prestige is all growing every time we put the door closed. And it makes it harder and harder to open it because the cost is bigger and bigger and bigger. And so we either open it early and be honest and deal with it, or we open it way late and it just is going to explode. But the bottom line, it gets harder and harder and harder and it wants to come out more and more and more and plans fail and plans fail and plans fail because hidden sin will always come to light. So why don't we just bring it to light? Jesus made this clear that the hidden sins always come to light. He said it this way in the book of Luke. Go ahead and throw that up there for me. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Sure, hide it. It's going to come out. And Jesus is actually referencing not just in this time period. He's, a, he's addressing a greater time period. The same warning God gave to the Israelites in the book of Numbers. Look at this last line. He tells them, like, no, for sure, your sin will find you out. Your sin will be discovered. It will be made. And it's especially true because there's a day coming called the Day of Judgment. And on the day of judgment, God will reveal all these hidden sins. He'll put them out perfectly. Now, what's amazing is we will hide our sins as best as we can, even to the point where we will claim God is such a loving God, he wouldn't judge anybody. 
God is such a loving God. He, he doesn't care about what I do. Why would God care about how I lived my life? We will justify in order to keep our sins hidden, even thinking we've hid them from God. But God has made it clear, no, there's a day of judgment. I'm going to bring it out. No, 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 there's a day coming. I already know what's going on here. I'm trying to show you now. That's why I'm trying to bring it out. That's why I'm trying to pull it out of you. We can resist and we can resist. But God's saying, look, through Jesus, hey, it's going to come out. It's going to come to the light. On the judgment day, I'm going to declare it. I'm going to show you it. It's going to be so clear that I know what I'm talking about. I'll even use your very heart to convict you. And on that day, I just, I'm, I'm, it is a frightening thought. Thank God for those of us who know Christ, that Christ has taken that cost that comes on that judgment day, that cost for our sins, and he's been our sacrifice to bear that. So the the judgment day comes, we're already declared innocent. He's already dealt with that. Now there are horizontal costs that are still coming, but the vertical cost, the sin before God is dealt with. And so it's no wonder that if we are in that state as, as people who are sons and daughters of God, who've trusted in Jesus Christ, God will discipline you. He doesn't want to let you keep those sins hidden. He wants you to succeed forward in where he's calling and leading you, large or small. He wants that to be open and he wants you to deal with your sins. He hasn't made you to live in sin. He hasn't made you to suffer in sin. He's made you in his image to represent him and to live out that image in this world. And I believe that if we hide those sins, he's going to discipline to bring them out into the light. Notice what he says in Proverbs. The Lord reproves him who he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. He acts like a good dad who will not let his kids remain sinful and messed up. He's going to press it out. So be warned, it's coming. It will make its way out. It did for David. David, who had done all this stuff, gotten away with it, was looking great. We're months into the end of the pregnancy and nothing's problem. And next thing you know, a pesky guy called a prophet shows up at the door. Now, prophets, yes, they foretold future, but their primary objective by God was to come up to the kings and the leaders and the people of Israel and say, guys, you're not following in the way that God's called you to. Let's get in line. And that's what a prophet was about. And so this guy's name is Nathan. And so Nathan comes to David, verse 1 of chapter 12, and he came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city. The one had one rich man and, and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought him up. It grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat his morsel and drink from his cup and his little, and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. This is the first instance of a pet in all of the Bible, just so you know. I'm surprised we didn't give it a name. And he's carrying a lamb. He's my little lamb. I love this lamb. You know, oh, should we have lamb chops? No, it's my lamb. It's like how we feel when we hear about cultures that eat dog. We're like, oh, how can you do that? So he's loving on this lamb, and he's caring about this lamb. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And the rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests which had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, went and stole his pet, and prepared it, slaughtered it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and the man who had come, or, and, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. 
Nathan says, you are the man. You know what the worst thing about when God's trying to discipline and show us is that he puts parable after parable after parable in our face. We don't even see it. This is my experience from my own heart and it's my experience from walking in ministry that the sins we get the most mad at are often the very sins we're struggling with. Then we're sitting back, I can't believe that guy had an affair. It's because somewhere back there, you're still guilty because in that closet, is a whole bunch of lust. Oh, I can't believe they run their finances into the ground like that. I mean, come on, don't they know the dangers of gambling? Da, 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 da. Somewhere back here is, is, some, is something going on. Guys, I've seen it. It's fascinating. But we're fastest to judge the sins we are most struggling with. And all this is God's parable trying to say, you're the man, you're the woman. Come on, open the door, let it out. Let's deal with it. It's time to get it dealt with. Bring it to the light. And why don't we just bring it to the light? Why do we need God to yank it out of us to make a scene when we can willingly bring it to the light and have God begin to deal with it? It's called confession. And we need to bring it to the light by confessing it to God first. And I'm not talking about a generalized confession. No, God, I'm a sinner. I know. No, I'm talking about being specific. I'm talking about laying down the very things. You see, the word confession in this verse, 1 John, is a special word. Look at this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all of unrighteousness. He can cleanse us and change us, but we have to be willing to confess. That word confess means to agree with or to say the same thing. So we are saying, God says that's a sin. When we confess, we say, I agree. This action that I have done is a sin. I'm not willing to say it's kind of bad. I'm no longer going to say, oh, it's just something I did. Oops, it was, a, uh, it was a mistake. No, we're saying it is sin, God. I agree with you. When we get there, now we've confessed. Now we're dealing with it on what it is. And now we're walking in unison with God on the problem. And that's difficult. That's what confession is really about. David confessed. He repents. He says, I have sinned against the Lord, verse 13 says. In fact, you can read. I, I don't have time to go through Psalm 51, 1 and 2 in these. Read Psalm 51. You have a markdown in your, in, your, in your notes, but read them when you get home. See what a heart of confession looks like. It's not a heart of remorse. Remorse is that thing that your kid gets all upset because he got caught. Repentance is bringing it to the light on your own because you know you've got to bring it to the holy God who is greater than you. And just lay it out there. And God deals with, according to the book of Micah, when we repent, according to this verse, he will cast your sins into the depth of the sea. He deals with it because Jesus Christ has paid the price that we have formed between us and God. That judgment day, there's a cost. The cost is called hell. And you cannot pay off an infinite cost when you've offended an infinite God. But we will pay it. And it will be paid for a very, 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 very long time. And God, knowing that, doesn't want us to have to pay that cost, so he sent his son as a sacrifice to bear that cost, to take that cost from us so we wouldn't have to pay it ourselves. What do you do on the judgment day when you stand bankrupt before God? You plead for him to pay it off, and he already did. That's the beauty of what we're seeing here. You can be forgiven because he's already paid for it if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. 
You can confess, bring it out of the closet. Now, that doesn't deal with the horizontal cost of pride and pocketbook and prestige and those things and personal relationships. Yes, those still have to be dealt with, but at least he walks with you through them instead of you walking bare naked alone. But we have to deal with this, and this is dealt with by bringing it to light, by confessing to each other. Notice what the book of James tells us. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What do you do when somebody comes and confesses a sin to you? What do you do? Confess your sins to one another and what? Say it out loud, everybody. Everybody say pray. Pray. I need you to say it because I need to know you know what to do when somebody comes and confesses a sin to you. Thank you. You tell them, I can't handle this. You tell them, thanks, uh, and never call them again. When somebody's struggling in front of you, do you back off because you're uncomfortable and you can't handle it? No, you pray with them. We pray for one another. We care about them. We break through our fear, our pain, our frightenedness, and we love because if somebody sought you out and thought you have been safe, that's a special honor to be confessed to. And you pray with them. Don't condemn them. Don't judge them. Don't freak out and think about yourself. Pray. Because it brings healing. Now that's one side of the equation. The one we're all freaked out about is, I got to tell somebody about this stuff? Uh-huh. We need to let it out of the closet. We need to have a safe place where we can go and say who we are and what we've done and call it what it is. You don't go saying it to everybody. Look, I lived that life. I, everybody I met, I would tell people about my sins. Hey, this is who I am. This is what I've done. That's bad. It doesn't work. There's inevitably people that you damage relationships. No, you need to be very, you need to pray through these people. They need to be safe people. You need to know they're not struggling with gossip. You know, there may not be everybody in your small group that you can go say this to or your community group. But there are some special people in your life that when you go and connect with them, they'll understand what you're talking about and they will pray with you and they will care about you and they will keep it sealed so that you have a safe place to let it into the light. And then God will give you another chance to bring it into further light and further light. But that sin that is sitting in your life must be brought to the life and it must be done through confessing. Now, don't hide behind, I'm gonna hurt people. Yeah, sometimes it's gonna hurt. But you need to be discerning, you need to pray about it, and you need to confess. I'll tell you what, the most powerful times in my life is when I have groups of people around me that I can confess my struggles and my sin to that are willing to listen and support me. I found that out the earliest back in um, college. I, I came to Christ around my senior year of high school. And roughly about a year and a half into college, I finally pulled some friends of mine from a youth group together and I just looked straight at one of them and I said, hey dude, do you struggle with, and I started talking about the fact the internet had exploded and pornography had come with and I said, are you struggling with this? I'm struggling with this and bam. He looked at me like I had just smacked him. He's like, like he was freaking out. But from that conversation and a conversation with a few other times, I built an accountability group around me of four, us four guys who were willing to talk about anything that we were struggling with and we deal with it every single week. We would get in the car, we'd pick a street and we'd just drive until it came to the end. There's some long streets around here. And it forced us into conversations and dealing with our sins. Yeah, we would joke around and we'd minimize things that we shouldn't have. We've grown up a lot since then, but to this day we'll still call each other, though in, one of them's in, in Tennessee and two of them are in Texas. And they'll say, how are, when we talk, when we meet up, it's like, well, how are you doing? 
And we're able to talk through our struggles and our anger and our frustrations. One of them is just becoming a dad. I can't wait to help him walk through that. And, and we get to just share with one another where that pain is. I have people in my life constantly who are safe for me to confess and talk through my struggles. Because I need to bring the hidden sins into the light. Because I don't want God to get in the way of what he wants to do in my life. I don't want the sin to be sitting there and God goes, we need to deal with this first. Guys, I don't want that for you. I want you to be able to bring the hidden sins into the light in the appropriate places that you can deal with them, find strength and healing. And so when God says, let's get going, you're ready to go. And that can't be done with a closet full of sins. So maybe God's calling you to bring something out, to confess it to him and confess it to that person. We need to do that as a church if we're going to soul detox. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe right now some of you in this room who know Jesus Christ need to take that time and confess those sins to God. Talk to him about it. Be specific. There's others of you in this room who who you need to bring some sins to light because God's going to bring it on the judgment day and you're not going to have an answer for it. That right now, maybe you're for the first time in your life realizing that these things that you're hiding are called sin and they're the things that lead to hell. And God is bringing them to your attention not to condemn you, but to save you, to give you an answer right now. You can deal with it today. You don't have to go through that judgment day. He gave you Jesus Christ on the cross to bear your sins as a sacrifice, to pay off the cost that we owe to him so that you can have access to God, know him and walk with him, and then he can begin the hard, arduous transformation of our lives that so many of us want. We know who we want to be, but we can't make it there on our, by ourselves. God comes into our lives and begins to shape and change us. That's not simple, ooh, this is so easy and fun, and God blesses everyone. No, no, guys, that's, that's a journey that has its highs and has its tough times, but it is a good one. And it only happens when you come to realize that we're sinful, And you confess those to God and you release them. And you allow Jesus to take the payment for you. You don't go do good things to earn this. God wants to pay off your debt right now as a gift. And right now, maybe you need to receive that gift. You know that on the judgment day, you have nothing to pay God with to deal with your past then if that's where you're at as every human being is they may not know it you need to receive this gift God has for you of Jesus Christ who bears your sin in the payment if that's where you're at right now you want to receive that gift right now you can receive it just let me know you'd love to do that just by putting your hand up because I want to walk you through a way of talking to God about this so right now God's saying come on receive the gift come please be forgiven of sin give that Just put that hand up. Let me know. I want to pray with you. Awesome. Some of you, this may be a first time. Others of you, this may be just a rededication. But here's where you start. Right where you're at, where you are, just talk to God and say, God, these are my sins, and I want you to tell them what they are. 
Now tell him that you ask him to forgive you. And right now, just tell him that you're going to trust that Jesus has paid for those sins for you on the cross. And now ask him and invite him into your life that he could begin to transform you and lead you. God, I ask that you would bless these men and women who have prayed through this with you, that their hearts would be transformed by you. God, that you would seal them into your family. And God, that you'd help all of us who are confessing our sins this morning to walk in you in the light. I pray this in Jesus' name. All God's children said, amen, amen.